you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, our kiddos are going to head upstairs with the Medlins and are going to have a great time this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning, and we are going to be in the, the Matthew 5 to 7 range for a good little while, so get comfy in Matthew 5. Maybe put a bookmark there. Uh, but over the next uh, probably about 10 weeks or so, uh, we are going to be walking together through the Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded sermon that we have of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we're going to kick that off this morning uh, by looking at the beginning of that message, uh, looking at how Jesus opened up his, uh, his uh, sermon. And so uh, here's what you need to know. It is a, always a challenge uh, to preach something that has already been preached well. Um, and it is even more challenging to preach it when you know that Jesus was the one who originally preached it, all right? You can't, you just can't live up to Jesus, all right? So we're gonna have fun with it. We're gonna go through it as best we can, uh, but man, just know that we are, uh, we are looking at the words of Jesus being proclaimed this morning, and uh, I'll do my best to live up to his standards and uh, see what we can do. I wanna kind of set the stage and the picture of kind of what's been going on uh, up till this point in the, uh, the story of the Gospel of Matthew, at least, we've got this lineage of Jesus that we read in Matthew chapter 1 as we know his life and kind of where he came from. Uh, we jump from that into the birth story and uh, seeing uh, uh, John the Baptist come on the scene and begin to prepare the way. And uh, we see Jesus grow uh, in maturity and uh, he becomes a man and he comes to his cousin John to be baptized. Uh, and Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. He comes up out of the Jordan River and is filled with the spirit of his father as a son, descend, uh, excuse me, as a dove descends onto him. Uh, and then Jesus immediately goes into the wilderness uh, for his temptation. We know that story uh, well. He spends uh, 40 days fasting, uh, and the enemy comes and challenges him uh, in a lot of different ways, and then Jesus overcomes that uh, through the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of God's Word. Um, then Jesus calls his disciples just before our passage here, and so uh, what you need to know is that as we walk into Matthew chapter 5, we are early into the ministry of Jesus. Uh, this is fresh uh, for him, it's fresh for the people who are following him. This is all brand new. And so as we pick up into Matthew chapter 5, uh, what you need to know is that Jesus has accumulated his disciples, but it's not just the 12. Jesus has also already accumulated a great crowd in just a little bit of time. So it didn't take him long before people started kind of picking up on the fact that there's this guy named Jesus who's doing some pretty amazing things and a lot of people begin to follow him. And so pick up with me in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse one. Let's read this opening passage. Seeing the crowds, he being Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall uh, be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you uh, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were sent before you. Let's pray over the reading of God's word. Jesus, as we study your words this morning, we pray, God, that you would open them up to us in new and fresh ways. God, as we study a passage that should be one that is just deeply ingrained in the heart of every believer, God, I pray that it would be found with fresh eyes. God, I pray that there would be a, a newness about it, Father, as we stare at it today, as we uh, fix our eyes on the message that's contained on this page. God, I pray that your spirit would come and meet with us, Father, because without it, we can't discern uh, how you're moving and how you're speaking to us. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts as he fills us to overflowing, God, as he uh, recharges us from a long week of ministry and, and loving people and uh, challenging circumstances. God, I pray that we would find peace and comfort this morning in the, the work of your spirit. And God, I pray that through the pages that we study and the words that we look at this morning, God, that you would change us that we would become more like Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So many of you, I'm sure, have uh, worked long careers doing something. And if we went around the room this morning, uh, I'm sure you could share stories about what you're doing, except for Mackenzie, who's just getting started over here. Uh, she's been working at a coffee shop, and it's maybe that, is that your first like big job? Second big job. So she's kind of fresh in it. So maybe y'all can give her some like career advice later. Grab Mackenzie and be like, hey, let me tell you a story. Uh, but for all of us who have worked careers and been in jobs, you know that one of the first things that you receive when you walk into a job, Kevin, I about knocked your TV over, bro. It was close. I'm gonna step this way. Those of us who have worked a career, we know that one of the first things we receive is a job description. You get handed a sheet of paper, and on that sheet of paper is a description about what your duties are going to entail, what kind of education level you've got to have, all the, all the different pieces that they're kind of expecting out of whoever's going to fill that role. Uh, they want to uh, give you the, the daily tasks, the weekly, the monthly, the yearly. They're going to break it down into goals and targets if it's a, a job description that's done well. But you get a piece of paper that's handed to you that says, here is what this job looks like. And as we open up into Matthew chapter five, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus begins his sermon with is essentially sliding across the table to us a job description of what it looks like to follow Jesus. What we get is a very succinct bullet point list of, hey, this is what life in God's kingdom should look like. And this is an important list because keep in mind the context, right? Jesus is early in his ministry. Uh, nobody knows yet that he's gonna go to the cross for them. Nobody is aware of what the next three years of his ministry is gonna look like. They don't quite understand all of this yet. And so Jesus comes on the scene into a heavily Jewish culture uh, that is centered on a legal system and a, a system of sacrificial uh, worship. And he comes into that scene and he's got to begin to paint a different picture. The job of the believer is going to change and shift in some critical ways. It's going to go from, hey, 
mess up, that's fine, go to the temple, have a priest do a sacrifice for you, praise God and walk away and everything's okay, the blood of this lamb is gonna cover you, that culture is gonna begin to shift drastically from an external life in God to an internal life with God, a spirit-filled and spirit-driven relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus has to kind of set the stage for what that transition is gonna look like. And that's why in Matthew chapter five, Jesus opens up with what we know as the Beatitudes. It is a biblical job description for us as believers. He calls them blessed, and there's many interpretations. Most people will tell you that every time we see that word blessed in this passage, it just means happy are they. But, but really in context, as we look at this word, it's not just a happy statement as much as it is a, a connected or a relationship statement. In other words, when we follow this job description, we find joy in the Lord. It's a relationship connection piece. When we live outside of this job description, we find a lot of misery. <laughs> we find a lot of discontentedness. And so God has given us, Jesus has given us the way to find joy in him, the way to find connectedness to him. And he opens up in Matthew chapter five and he says, hey, here's how this needs to look for you. And so I just wanna take some time this morning and we're literally just gonna go phrase by phrase through these Beatitudes because I want you to see the job description that you and I should be living into every single day. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse one, just says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down with his disciples, he, uh, or excuse me, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Here's what we need to know about what's going on with Jesus at this point. He sees this crowd coming. He's been healing sick people. He's been performing miracles, and this crowd has amassed around him, and Jesus recognizes the need in this moment to pause and to say, hey, I've met all these physical needs, but there's a spiritual aspect to this that you need to be aware of as well. I didn't just come to heal the sick. I didn't just come to perform these miracles. I came to change your heart. And so he sits down with his disciples, and he has a, a literal come-to-Jesus meeting with them. <laughs> See, that, see where that went? That was great, wasn't it? Verse two, and he opened up his mouth and he taught them. Wouldn't it be so great to just sit at Jesus' feet and be taught by him? Man, I've had a lot of great pastors in my life, Marshall being one of them, uh, my dad being another one of them, several other pastors that I've sat under, uh, Jeff Hickman at Lifesong Church, many others that I've just been on staff with and had the opportunity to learn from and grow under. And man, all of them are just excellent men and great people of God, but there would be nothing like being able to literally just walk up to Jesus and sit at his feet and be like, let me hear it from your mouth, God. Let me hear it from the horse's mouth. Let me hear it from the guy who has a direct link to the Father. Let me hear it from the guy who came here to change and alter all of history. What we need to understand is these disciples, man, they don't even have a clue what they're walking into yet, uh, but they are about to be taught by the master. They're about to be taught by God. And he says he opened up his mouth and he taught them. And the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor uh, in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's talk about this term poor in spirit for just a moment. Let's take it in terms of physical needs. If we were here in the room this morning and we were poor from a monetary perspective or a material perspective, if we were poor in some capacity like that, what we would find is that when we face seasons of life like that, we become very dependent on other people to meet our needs. If we don't have the financial resources that we need, then we have to go to somebody and we have to ask for help. 
If we don't have a house to live in, then we've gotta go to somebody, we've gotta say, hey, can you give me a roof over my head? Can you help me find a place to stay? We look for the help in others, and Jesus says in this opening statement to his disciples, blessed are the poor, not in material things, but the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means blessed are the people who are poor in spirit, so they come dependent and looking for something in God. They come looking for something, hungry for something in who God is. They come saying, God, I've got nothing to give, but I need everything from you. He says, if we can find that kind of heartbeat, if we can get into that kind of mentality as a people of God where we are completely and totally dependent on God, we find joy and we are blessed in that kind of mentality. And so I wanna ask the question this morning, what have you found yourself dependent on this week? Has it been people around you to meet needs for you or all those things? Or have we found ourselves completely spiritually dependent on who God is? Jesus teaches about this later in John chapter 15, verse five. He says this, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. This should be a familiar passage. If you remain in me, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to get to a place where we internalize that verse and we realize that, God, we come to you for every basic need we have, where we are just dependent so deeply that it's like, man, I can't function without my God. I think about my kids in that. If my kids, Gavin is 11, Rosie's nine, Zeke is six. If my kids uh, were to lose both their mom and their dad today, which would be a super sad story, let's not talk about that. But let's say that they lost us my kids would have no way of functioning in this world because Lindsay and I provide the roof over their head. We provide the food on the table. We provide the education that they go through. We provide their transportation to and from activities. We provide literally everything they get. We provide the discipline in their lives. We provide the structure to their day. We provide literally everything for them. And Jesus opens up his great sermon and he says, you will find joy and happiness by being dependent on me, on God. We have to come to a place where we are spiritually dependent on God. We are poor in spirit for theirs, those people who find themselves poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now this sounds like a contradictory statement. What do you, what do you mean I'm gonna mourn and be happy at the same time? I can't find joy and be blessed while mourning. Mourning is this grief state in our minds and our hearts. It is this deep depressive moment of, man, we've lost something and we are grieving over that loss. Now, we could read that in terms of people, and that's normally where our minds go, is we grieve over the loss of someone who we love, a family member or a friend or a close relative or whatever it may be that we've lost. We grieve over those people, but that's not 100%, I believe, where Jesus was going in this passage. I believe that there's something deeper that Jesus was asking us to grieve over. And I think we find it in the life of David. If we were to back up, you don't have to do this, but if you were to back up and study the life of David, here's what you would find about who David was. David was a young king uh, who came out of his father's fields, who was anointed to become the next king of Israel uh, in some strange circumstances. And David began his kingship, he began uh, his leadership role very strong. In fact, we read through uh, stories of David and Goliath even before his anointing. We read the story of, uh, of David slaying a giant and stepping up in big ways and we celebrate that guy, David, and we're like, man, way to go, David. 
Uh, we read stories about David protecting the life of Saul where he had a, an opportunity to kill the man who was chasing after him, but instead David withdraws and says, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill this man because God still has his hand on him. He's still the king of Israel, and so I'm not gonna take his life. That's not fair for me to do. And we go, man, way to go, David. David, you're, you're just awesome. You are so great to look up to. And then Saul dies, and David steps into the throne, and, and, he, and he begins to lead, and it's not long before we find David standing on a rooftop staring at a woman taking a bath who's not his wife. And we find David sliding down a very slippery slope because it's not long after that that he sends his servants down to go get this woman Bathsheba and, and bring her up to him into his bedroom, and uh, he lies with her and he gets her pregnant. And so to cover up the story, y'all know all this, but he covers up the story by, by calling her husband home from war, Uriah the Hittite. And he says, hey, Uriah, come home and, and go spend some time with your wife because there's no DNA testing in these days. So you go spend some time with your wife and we'll be able to just cover all this up and nobody will ever know that I'm the one who got your wife pregnant. But Uriah refuses to go home. And so David slides a little further down that slippery slope. And he sends Uriah back to battle with a letter, and that letter goes to the generals of David's army, and the text of that letter simply says, when you get into the heat of the battle tomorrow, when it's at its peak, withdraw and leave Uriah to die on the battlefield. He has this man killed, murdered in cold blood. David marries Bathsheba, and but he gets a word from the prophet. The prophet comes to David and says, David, you've messed up. You've taken something that isn't yours. You've, you've overstepped some boundaries. And I believe that it's in Psalm 51.10 that we read the best cry of David. I repeat this verse often because it's so important. David cries out to God and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now, David was described as a man after God's own heart. How can a man who slept with a woman who wasn't his wife had her husband killed to try to cover it up? How can a man who slipped so deep into sin be described as a man after God's own heart? Here's how David is described as a man after God's own heart. David goes into a state of grieving. In fact, there's passages that tells David literally locked himself up in his bedroom away from his people. So much so that his soldiers, his, his guys, his servants came to check on him. They thought he was dead. David grieved and mourned over the sin that he had in his life. Jesus looks at his disciples, Matthew chapter five, and he says, blessed are they that mourn. We need to be a people of God who take sin seriously in our lives. We need to be a people of God who don't just play around with it and don't just dabble in it, but man, when sin creeps in, when temptation rears its ugly head, man, we beat it back with the gospel. Like we, we smack it with the Bible. We get it gone. That's exactly what Jesus displayed for us just a few verses prior to this when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself. Satan comes and he tempts Jesus in his weakness of fasting for 40 days. Jesus is hungry and he's tired and Satan comes and he says, hey, why don't you just turn these stones into some bread and and eat something. And Jesus responds with scripture and confidence going, that is not what God has called me to do. We need to be a people that follow after the footsteps of Jesus. Our job description is to be people who take sin seriously. It's not something to dabble in or to play with. It's not something to just coast through or to be all right with. 
It's something that we, we come to an altar and we lay it down and we leave it there. It is something to be sacrificed at the foot of the cross. It's something to be slain out of our lives. We can't be a people of God who are comfortable with the things that Jesus went to the cross for. We have to take sin for what sin really is, a destructive, death-bringing force that Jesus died and rose from the dead for. And anything that Jesus died for, I don't wanna live for. Whatever we've got, we need to grieve over those things. We need to lay our lives down like David did, man. David went up into this upper room and he just, he cries. It says that he rips his garment, he locks the door, and he literally goes into a state of depression over the consequences of his sin. We need to be a people who grieve. He goes on, though, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I went and I looked up meek because I thought, well, I could describe it as humility. That's a loosely synonymous term there, but I went and I just looked it up and just let uh, the dictionary do the work for me, and here's what it says. It is quiet, gentle, and submissive. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the people who are submissive. Submissive to what? Because we don't wanna be meek people in the wrong circumstances. There are times that we as believers are called to stand with confidence on the truth of God's word and to declare and to not back down from what is right. And so we don't wanna be people who are meek in the wrong circumstances. So when are we called to be meek? We are called to be meek when it comes to submitting to who God is and who he's calling us to be. We are to be submissive to God's word and to his commands. Jesus puts it before the people and he says, hey, listen, you've got to submit to me. And then Jesus puts this on display and it's beautiful that this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry because at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, we see him displaying this. If you were to go and look in the Luke chapter 22, uh, you would read the story of Jesus uh, taking three of his closest disciples into the prayer, uh, into the garden rather to pray. Uh, and, and he walks into this garden and he separates from them to go pray by himself and he gets intense. And the Bible says that he is grieving over what he's about to face tomorrow uh, at the crucifixion. And he is just, he's so intently in prayer that he begins to sweat drops of blood. And as he prays, these are the words that he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. It says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then listen to this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know how hard that is to pray? Especially in circumstances where we desire something so different than what we know God's will is. We want this to turn out this way. We want this relationship to look this way or we want this part of our lives to change and to look like this and God's going, that's not what I've put in my plans for you and we have to pray the prayer, God, this is what I desire. That's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey God, if there's a way, let this cup pass for me, that's my desire. But if not, then I submit to your will. I have watched Ann Bradbury over the last couple weeks. She's not here this morning, but went and visited with her last week and spent some time in the living room with her just talking with her through the circumstances that she's facing right now. And Ann has repeatedly over and over and over again displayed this trait. She has said to me, Chris, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying that God just whoops this thing. <laughs> but if not, 
I'm okay. If not, God's will be done. If not, all right, <laughs> I'm okay. And I've watched many of you say the same things or pray the same prayers, but we've got to be a people. It's not just in those most intense moments, but it's in every moment that we submit ourselves to God and say, God, not my will, not my desires, not the things that I want to have done, but God, your will and your desire and what you want to have done, that's where I want to be, and I want to be right in the middle of that. I want to be right where you are, God. We got to submit ourselves to God's will. He keeps going, though. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Then in verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? As I studied this, I looked at how long you could go without food and water. <laughs> I wondered how long a person would last without being able to eat or without being able to drink. You can go a long time without food. A long time without food. You ain't gonna last more than a few days without water. Jesus says these are the basics of what you need to survive. Without food and without water, you're dead. And he says to us this morning, he says, listen, blessed is the person, happy and joyful is the person who says, man, I hunger and thirst not for bread and for water, but I hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be more like my God. I hunger and thirst for, to pursue the things that he has for me. There's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, easiest verse to remember, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 Timothy 2, 22. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We have to be a people of God who desire right living with God. And here's what I love about the passages that go forward from this. As we look towards things like the book of Hebrews and Romans even, it describes to us that our righteousness is not something that we can create, but it is a gift from God that comes by following him. It's, it's given to us through faith. In fact, if you were to go to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and you look through the stories of the men from the Old Testament that are described in Hebrews, it literally says over and over and over again that by faith they believed they followed, and it was accounted to them as righteousness because they simply believed, because they simply followed, because they simply took God at his word and did what it said. It was accounted to them as righteousness. We have to be a people of God who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He continues, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's a parable that Jesus teaches later about a man who is in debt, and he is forgiven a great debt. But he immediately leaves from this forgiveness scene and he immediately goes and he finds the guy that owes him about five bucks. <laughs> and he has the man thrown in jail over five dollars. And Jesus says, brothers, let that not be so about us. We have been forgiven a great debt. Let us be people who forgive. Let us be people who are merciful when it comes to the relationships that we have with people. We have to live into mercy. And that is one of the most challenging things when we walk into a, a business and we feel mistreated by a business. 
or we walk into a relationship with a, a friend or a child and they, they misuse that relationship. Extending mercy to those people is challenging and difficult because we don't desire to display that to them. We've been hurt. We're, we're, we're offended. But the biblical job description of every believer in this room is to be a people who display mercy because a great debt has been forgiven for you. Who are we to not forgive those around us? Now, I wanna be careful to clarify that doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries. That doesn't mean that we don't create good relationships with people through the use of saying, hey, I, I forgive you and I, I ask God to give you good things and man, I hold no ill will towards you, but that doesn't mean you have access to everything in my life again. Be careful to set good boundaries, but display mercy. Luke chapter six, verse 36 simply says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Let's keep going. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to be a people of God who focus on the pure things of God. We allow things to creep in a lot of times through things like social media or uh, media in general, the news, <laughs> the news is a big one. Uh, we, we allow that to focus in through uh, 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 things that we watch on TV, whether that's uh, movies or TV shows or whatever it may be. We allow things to creep in through relationships that we know are not the most influential, good influential relationships that we have. They distract us and draw us away from God. We allow things to creep in, and Jesus reminds us in this moment, he says, hey, part of the job description of every believer is to remain pure in heart. So where there's good things, focus on that. Keep your gaze fixed on the right stuff. Keep your gaze fixed on the truth of God's word, but don't allow these other things to creep in and distract you from worshiping with a pure heart. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is true or pure or lovely or commendable, think about these things. You know that as we watch through TV shows and news and all these different things that what we hear is gonna influence a lot about what we think and that's gonna influence a lot of what we say. So if we allow the wrong things in, if we allow ourselves to sit and ingest negativity all the time and dishonorable things and terrible uh, mindsets and things that are just, man, just uh, God-awful pieces, things that God would just despise, if we allow those things constantly in to our minds and our hearts and ultimately out of our mouths, we are constantly living in a state of negativity. And that isn't where God desires us to be. He says, man, think about things that are honorable, that are just, that are good. Again, stand for truth, declare God's word, but man, don't don't be so focused on all the things around you that are dishonorable and negative. He says, man, lock your eyes on the good things. Lock your eyes on the things that are, are honorable to God because when we fix our eyes on those things, it eventually builds its way into our lives and eventually spills out of our mouths. The Bible tells us that out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. The Bible also tells us that the way to our heart is through our mind. We have to renew our minds and that ultimately changes our lives. We need to be very careful about what we fix our eyes on. He says, you need to be pure in heart. 
He keeps going. He continues into verse 9 there. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We are a people who in the basics of our job description, it says, be a people of peace. Don't stir trouble where trouble doesn't need to be stirred. Don't be people who cause divisions or heartache for people. Be a people who make peace. Lastly, he says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, not for just random pieces. (laughs) But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John 15 again says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. (laughs) Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You wanna know how you follow in Jesus? People don't like you. I find that interesting that Jesus put this one right after the statement about being a peacemaker, right? He's like, hey, go, go make peace. And then he's like, oh, by the way, people aren't gonna like you. Now we can pair those two together and we can look at that and go, what does it mean to really be a peacemaker? And these are the only two that I'm gonna really kind of group together into one statement. Because what we desire to be is not just people who are people pleasers or people who make peace and just make sure everybody around them is comfortable, But to be a peacemaker goes beyond that into the idea of let me help people make peace with who God is. It it is the desire of us to live on mission and, and to teach people what it looks like to live in a right relationship with who God is. We make peace with them. We help them make peace with God. And then he says right in this next statement, but don't be surprised when people persecute you for that very thing. We shouldn't be surprised that when we go and declare God's word to people and we help them make peace with God that people push back on us. Why? Because they did it to Jesus. If they did it to Jesus, they're gonna do it to us. In fact, in the job description Jesus gives us, he says, they ain't gonna like you. But persevere, push through, because that's what I desire of you. That's what God desires of us. I want you to hear these statements put together into one little succinct statement. I'm going to take all of these um, blessed beatitude statements, and I want you to hear how I would rewrite them if I were writing a job description this morning. I would simply say this. The church of Jesus Christ is seeking an employee who is fully living into the kingdom of God, spiritually dependent on him, taking sin seriously to the point of grieving over it, is submissive to God's commands, passionately pursuing righteousness, displaying mercy at all times, worshiping with a pure heart, seeking to be a bridge, not a stumbling block, persevering in the face of trials. That's your job description. That's who God desires us to be this morning. The question is, will we live into that job description? When I was working for Chick-fil-A, I created a system that we called Employee Profiles. It was um, a fairly uh, lengthy uh, process of building, but essentially what it was was an employee review system. And every three months, every quarter, 
I would sit down with our employees and I would have these little printouts in front of me and I would sit across the table from them and I would slide their employee review over to them and I would have a copy of it in front of me and we would walk through that review. And it included all kinds of things. It included their certifications and you know, whether or not they were certified to run drive-through or uh, a register on front counter if they knew how to cook the chicken or whatever. It had all these different certification levels that they could be certified in. It, but it also included some character traits, things like integrity and work ethic, uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, we had all kinds of character pieces that we evaluated as well. And every three months, I would sit down across the table from somebody, I would slide them a sheet of paper, and I would say, let's talk about where you're at. And let's talk about how we get you to the next step. The question I have for you this morning is as you evaluate these blessed statements, as you evaluate the Beatitudes this morning, as you see the statement of Jesus, the job description of every believer, how are you doing? Where are you at in this process? Are you going, man, Chris, I'm knocking it out on like eight out of nine of those. Man, I've got it. I'm doing great. But in this one area, I could really use some improvement because I'm not quite there yet. Or maybe you're looking at it and you're going, Chris, I didn't even know that there was a job description to begin with. I didn't know that there were expectations of what it looked like to be a believer. I'm not matching any of those. And I've got some big work to do all the way across the board. Whatever it is, I want you to look at those scriptures. I want you to study them this week. I want you to review them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and whenever you have an opportunity, put them on a note card and tape it to your steering wheel. Put it on the mirror in the bathroom. Like, let it be the last thing you see at night before you lay down and ask yourself the question, how did I do today in living into who God desires me to be? Did I match up with the job description or did I fail in some areas? Did I miss the mark somewhere? because our desire every day should be to be more like Jesus. What I love about the Beatitudes is that as we watch the life of Jesus play out, he begins his ministry with this message. And then as we watch the life of Jesus play out through the rest of Matthew and in Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus put on display every single one of these traits for us. He shows us what it looks to walk, shows us what it looks like to walk with God in every area that he just described. So our prayer becomes, God, make me more like Jesus. Make me more like him. Whatever, whatever area I'm weak in, make me strong. Wherever I'm failing, help me to find solutions. But God, just as we sang earlier, make me more like you. I wanna pray for you this morning. I'm gonna be down here in front of the altar and if you need to come forward and talk about anything or pray over anything, I'll be here. Uh, we're gonna sing a song together as we do that, but let me pray for us and our praise team will come lead us in that. Let's pray together. God, our prayer is simple. Make us more like you. Where we have failed, where we have strayed, where we have slipped, where we have overstepped or understepped, God, I pray that you would show us those things this morning, not out of a sense of rule following or obligation, but out of a sense of, God, we just desire uh, to give our whole lives to you because you gave your life to us. And so, God, would you show us those things this morning? Would you help us to review that job description, Father, that you've given us? Would you help us to see those statements and, and, and to know, Father, that they're not meant to be uh, just uh, to, to beat us up with, Father, but to be an encouragement of the direction we're headed and the target that we're trying to hit as believers? And so, God, would you allow us to see that this morning? And if there's any in the room this morning who maybe, Father, are just struggling in some area of their spiritual walk, Father, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. I pray that they would do business with you today, God, that as your spirit 
Spirit sweeps through their heart as it challenges them and pushes them, God, I pray that they wouldn't just sit idly with the prompting of the Spirit, but that they would respond to it and that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would find new hope and life, Father, at the foot of the cross. God, help us to be a people who live up to your expectations. Help us to be a people who honor you in every aspect of our lives, God, and may you do whatever you need to do with us in these moments. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.